0: Welcome to the Bjergnes podcast, and welcome to the podcast booth at the climate festival Varmare, våtare, villare in Bergen. I am Inga Pilskog, and your host for the episode. With me in the booth, I have Devin Remme, a PhD candidate at the Center for Climate and Energy Transformation, SET, and the Department of Geography at University of Bergen. Devin, welcome.
1: Thank you. I'm very excited to be here.
0: I understand that you are here to join the session around the world with climate science and you are to talk about not-so-green transition, manganese mining in Zambia. Before we go there into that though, uh, who are you and how did you end up here?
1: Well, that's a very long story. But um, I was uh, born in the United States to a Norwegian father. And as soon as I was old enough, I came back to Norway. And I've been here ever since for over 10 years now. And I have been studying since the bachelor level at UIB. So um, they haven't been able to get rid of me. I'm still there. (laughs)
0: So you just hid in the cupboard until they started paying you?
1: I actually did start going to SET meetings before I was an employee and people thought that I was an employee uh, like a year before I actually got a contract.
0: (laughs) That's nice. So you you have always been living interested in in these kind of questions as an academic then?
1: Um, Maybe not always climate change questions, but I've always liked the academic approach. Okay.
0: Yeah. Interesting. so what did you do for a master then, like before they p- started paying you?
1: Yes, um, I was actually able to work as a research assistant while I did the master's in order to uh, live financially, and the master's topic was on the, the local impacts in Bergen of sustainable mobility policies, um, things like the zero growth target, um, the toll roads, which was a big issue when I was doing the master's. Mm
0: you said at all? Uh,
1: yeah, so that was the year that Bompenga Partiet um, ah, right. won a bunch of seats out of nowhere, and it was really surprising for people yeah. to get this sort of pushback to something they thought, um, you know, this argument is over about yeah. cars.
0: Yeah, so sort of like that just like drove your interest into this uh, kind of research just then?
1: Yeah, so I got to start by looking at these local issues Mm. and um, specifically the impact of electric cars becoming more popular. And what does that do to local social justice issues and politics um, just within Bergen? And what are the problems there, since we usually assume that this um, new technology, that these these cars don't really have any negative sides?
0: Mm. Yeah, because it's kind of a far way, like a long road from cars and tollbooths in Bergen to Zambia?
1: Uh, It was actually quite short for me because after doing this research on what are the issues here in uh, Westland, Hmm. then What are the issues globally in terms of where do the materials in these cars come from? Mm. There's so much hype about the electric cars, and it's really become part of Norway's brand, that we are leaders in sustainability because of our success. Um, There's more electric cars per capita here than anywhere else in the world. So it's also a natural place to start thinking about if this is the future, where does all this stuff come from? And it turns out we don't have a lot of knowledge about that. Like, less than you would think.
0: <laughs> Scary. So your main goals for your research then, it is to find out this kind of stuff?
1: Exactly. What are the global implications of um, everybody driving an electric car?
0: Mm. So do you actually see that a future where everybody is driving an electric car or have your research sort of refined that idea?
1: I do think that is the future. I don't think it's for the best, um, but it fits so well with what's uh, popular for policymakers Mm -hmm. and for a large portion of the voting bloc, that we just replace these internal engine combustions with batteries and we keep on going the way we have been, Mm -hmm. um, and that that solves this problem, and that we get pats on the back for being so green. But... um, it, it doesn't deal with the hard choices that are the real solutions to climate change. Mm. They require changing behaviors, changing our expectations.
0: Yeah, I did a bit research about you before you came here and you started an organization about bus riders.
1: Yes. So um, the biggest or one of the biggest interest organizations in Norway is NAF, which mm. is for the uh, car drivers. Mm. And there's no organization that represents bus users. Um, You'll hear car dependence all the time or be love and Mm. you never hear like bus dependent. Um, And also in the the toll road movement, this idea Mm. that um, single moms need cars and so tolls are antisocial. And uh, I have a child and I don't have a car. And I felt like I was being spoken for by men and um, my actual problems were completely invisible. Uh, so I started something called uh, Busbruckernes mm-hmm. Um It was just a made-up idea. We're going to make an art exhibition. Like, what if there was a bus riders' union? And there was so much interest, we were like, well, let's just register it and yeah. start it.
0: So life imitates art. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, so therefore you have made this research project, looking into, like, where are the materials coming from? Like... Uh, What's like, what's your role there, like, like? Oh.
1: Um, I started by so the people who usually work on this um, are either in the industry, like you want to have a battery manufacturing plant in Norway as we do, and other um, like private sector initiatives, and they, in order to comply with regulations about batteries, they are going to need to hire. Consultants who do life cycle analysis and this whole private industry around it that's very profitable um, actually doesn't have much of a a database to make these assumptions about how much carbon emissions is in this battery. Um, So as a publicly funded researcher, I... I'm not incentivized to um, make any assumptions that are too friendly towards the industry. I can spend the time to really look at what does this mean, not only for emissions, but water use and social issues, um, and like go to some of these places on field work, Zambia was one of them, and see what's it really like on the ground, and what does that mean for the kinds of policies we're making here, where we assume everything can be traceable, everything's transparent
0: very interesting. Is this something that personally make you excited about doing research or other other drivers?
1: I love doing it. I love finding the data and then um, collecting new information, as well as finding all of these gaps in really important systems for our decision makers. Um, I can fill some of those gaps and some of them can't be filled. They're things that can't be known because they haven't happened yet. Um, so pointing out the assumptions And then um, I guess I'm excited about uh, finding which of the theories about the way the world works matches what we actually know Mm. and which ones don't match up and therefore shouldn't be used to make policies.
0: Yeah, interesting. (laughs) And then you really like, you want to affect the policies. So how, how does this research go into the bigger picture? Then, do you think?
1: Well, I think that um, we're we're building a lot of policies on faulty assumptions. And also, it's it's far less uh, popular to argue for less cars. It's always, uh, even though we have the zero growth target, we're still building giant new road projects and assuming that since we electrified the cars, then it's fine. But it's not fine. And it's not only not fine in a global perspective, but also here. So really being honest about these um, challenges that require harder decisions. Mm.
0: Uh, very interesting. And then you, I guess that your research had made you worried, I guess. So are there anything that like, you're starting really to get worried about?
1: Yes. So I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't say that I'm worried about climate change mm. the way um, a lot of my students are, for example, about the, the natural challenges we face. But I am worried that because we're not being honest with ourselves and with each other so often, that the solutions we come up with are worse than the problem that we're trying to solve. So if this sort of phase of denial um, becomes impossible to maintain, if people are panicked and afraid, they, do th- they turn towards authoritarianism and violence. Um, And I'm worried about that, how we react to climate change, Mm. a lot more than I am about climate change itself.
0: That was a very interesting perspective. It's uh, Whoa. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, because people like uh, in my own research, um, like I started out as a natural scientist. Now I'm working on the teacher's education uh, and... It's a totally different way of go, like approaching this. And we are talking about, like, we have the three pillars of uh, of sustainability. You have social sustainability, uh, ecological sustainability, and economical sustainability. Uh, Kimball's triangle. Yeah, but then we're talking like maybe there should be a fourth, which is good governance, and may or maybe the economical should be exchange for good governance, and what you are saying is that that's probably what we should do then.
1: Yes, and I think good governance could go under social, Mm. um, but I don't think that economics should be um, in the same same level as environment and social, which is mm. you know the new uh, Holberg Prize winner. They just announced um, mm. one of the founders of ecological economics argues that nature should be on top, and economics is a subset of that, mm. not the other way around, which is what's mainstream right now.
0: Yeah, so a more nested model where you have nature, which is giving all the frames, then the society that gives sort of next frame level, and then economic and other stuff that are exactly. sort of bound by the others.
1: In, um, in my latest paper I published, um, one of the catchphrases was that supporting the circular economy, for example, as something that will deliver green growth, represents the social construction of ignorance. Mm. It means that we're willfully blind about what we're doing.
0: Yeah, right. Very good catchphrase, by the way. and <laughs> It makes people think, I guess... Um, So to end a bit on a better note, then, what makes you hopeful?
1: Um, I get to teach a course for bachelor students right now, and I see that they are so engaged and so much more knowledgeable than um, when I did my bachelor's 10 years ago. And I think there's a lot of hope in young people. Um, And I'm supported also by the psychology research we've seen that says, once you're over 30, it's really hard to change your ideas. And I'm 34, so I get that. And if you have kids, like, you're focused on one thing. Mm, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but the young people, um, and in Norway, in Europe, where there's um, been this population stagnation, we don't have as many young people, but in the world, in countries like Zambia, where I did my field work, um, most of the population is under 16. Mm. Like, the world is young, um, and things can change fast if we let them if we stop holding on to the way things were.
0: Do you see any way where, which we can support such a future?
1: Um, yeah, don't assume that because someone's older, they know better.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's a very good end, though. So thanks a lot for joining me here in the booth. And good luck with your talk later today. And good luck with your future research. Thank
1: you so much for having me.
0: You have now been listening to a podcast from the Bjergnes Center for Climate Research. The podcast was recorded at the climate festival Varmare, Våtare, Velara in a podcast booth provided by Numonu Podcast Simplified. Responsible for the podcast and the editing is me, Engel Pilskog, Associated Professor at Western University of Applied Sciences.